give you an idea, um, the Brits alone are, are poised to spend about 61.8 billion on home improvements. Um, you know, coming soon. So it just gives you an idea that a lot of people now want to stay in their properties. They, they obviously want to uh, renovate them or expand them, etc. And I think the places like, uh, you know, B&Q and Wix and various other people are going to do very well out of this while people are trying to spend money. But also then we have to look at the city centre. Birmingham's turning into a big skyscraper, um, you know, to change its skylines. We know there's been relevant ones have been approved while we've been uh, in, in this lockdown as well. And if if we look at it, you know, the, the latest one uh, at the Irish Centre, 454 city centre apartments, they're going to be very small. Uh, do we need to see a change? Do we need to see more green space appearing and larger apartments rather than uh, gyms and cinema rooms, for example? Um, because uh, obviously people staying in the city want more. And also, what are we going to see on the commercial sector? Is it completely knackered now with what's happened and it's never going to come to back? Or are we actually going to see um, you know, more being given to employees and a better working environment? So, well, first of all, let's, let me go to Clive because obviously he's the... Uh, the wheeler and dealer and making sure that the legal points are all put together on here. So Clive, is there actually still money going around Birmingham to do these deals or not? Uh, yes, surprisingly so, I think. Um, uh, I think what's different between um, this, you know, this situation that we're in and what, what we found ourselves in in, say, 2007, 2008, is that the banks are okay and the banks are open for business and there is money, fl there is money flowing around. There's the emergency funds... Uh, that are flowing um, in terms of trying to support businesses. But there's also, um, there's still an appetite for um, development. So we're acting for developers across the country. So we're doing things in the West Country, we're doing things in London, we're doing things in Birmingham and in, and in the North. And I think what's telling, what, I think what people find frustrating is that people want to do things, but I think the dislocation we've all had over the last few weeks has sort of slowed some things down. Yes, it will stop um, uh, some things, uh, I think, but um, others, people are still keen to do things. So we're seeing housing developments um, of, all, of all sort of scales and sizes. So um, some, regional, some regional developers are looking at sort of a dozen apartments, then they're looking at 350 unit sort of housing schemes in the Southwest. Um, biggest city centre um, skyline high-rise developments um, and then I think the commercial the commercial side will will tr will trundle along and yes it will look different and we can come back to um, the sort of what what an office space might look like but um, I think people are still keen to do things and I think and, and the housing market as well I mean that's good news that um, the 450 odd thousand transactions which have been sort of put on hold, um, you know, people still want to, you know, people still want to either renovate their houses or, or, or sort of move onwards and upwards in the ladder. And the one, that, the one, one comment that um, uh, I heard the other day on a sim similar session was um, uh, a barrister saying that uh, uh, having spent having spent sort of eight weeks in lockdown with his family he worked out he worked out he actually needed more space um to sort of almost escape from the kids <laughs> so so i think people i think people are sort of you know being forced to sort of be perhaps a bit more honest about what they want uh, and probably what they don't want 
No, definitely. And I think it's interesting what you said there because I've said recently, you know, we are going to see a big change, especially on the residential housing market because people are either going to want to uh, get more space, they're going to upgrade or they're going to extend. Uh, on the flip side, uh, they're going to be divorced um, because they can't get on anymore in the same household because uh, of various reasons. So they're, they're obviously going to uh, split the assets. Um, or on the same... Or, or they just want to get out. They might want to downsize. You've obviously got the flip side that people live in big properties and they don't need all that space. It's become lonely because they haven't got visitors. So it is going to be some interesting times. I want to pick up on the commercial element there. So Chris K, you're sat in the spaces office at the moment. So do you think they're going to have to see some uh, big changes, for example, in the way that they're operating? Because obviously, you know, on a, a serviced office scheme, effectively, there could be some, you know, people are in and out all day. There's hot yeah. desking going on, you know really great offices don't get me wrong but are we going to see a big big change do you think or do you think they've actually got the right um the right way to move forward i think we've, we've seen a little bit of both already actually james um we've, we've got to a point with <clears throat> some clients where they're starting to look at co-locality um with you know mitigation of risk by spreading people across multiple locations so in the event of infection coming into an office then they don't see a a big change in their ability to trade. So we've seen a lot of our bigger clients in the city have spreading across six, seven locations. <clears throat> We're already afoot with, a, with, with, some, with some clients around how we can implement better social distancing measures via, um, rather than having one big office, having multiple small offices. We're also seeing clients looking to have more space per person to enable them to effectively socially distance in the workplace. Um, but on top of that, you know, we might even see, um, excuse me, but there is some socially distanced table tennis going on in the background. I don't know if you can hear it. <laughs> it just started as this call started. Um, but um, I think at the same time, what, what we're also starting to see is perhaps the change of the way that people have a desk layout set up. Because we've gone very much from the cubicle base over recent years to a more of a clear desk policy with lots of open plan desking for people. Um, we're already starting to see orders and requests coming through for for cubicles with the side panels on them and so the way that people work where people work and how people work i think will be changed for the foreseeable future <clears throat> you know just from conversations had this morning around office design layouts um even post-covid starting to take a real leading edge as to how businesses are looking at constructing and utilizing you know our services on demand and growing contracting quickly if they need to 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 change with with potential future infections or, or future peaks yeah no it's interesting that and matt for example so i've been up obviously i've been to your offices before which are absolutely lovely um and it's interesting i had the same conversation this morning with a colleague of mine who does provide the Screens. And I thought as an employer, I'd rather my staff work from home rather than come in and be put into a little box. So, Matt, what's your take on it? How, how do you think we're going to see the future of Birmingham change on, on that commercial side? I, th I think occupancy levels will certainly drop somewhat for sure. Um, I think people have adapted very well to working from home and that work-life balance has been great. We, we're actually getting inundated with requests right now for office redesign. Um, we're looking at wayfinding, zoning, how to make spaces. I guess that psychological aspect is one of the main factors that are impacting people's return to an office environment. So we're considering all different factors from how you enter the space to how you leave the space to how you get tea and coffee. All these elements have to be considered and factored. And thankfully, with flooring materials, we can enable that social distancing element quite quickly and uh, quite impactful. So... 
I think it's 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 going to happen. It's going to continue for the next 12, 18 months. We're going to get these requests. Um, I can't see it slowing down at all. Well, no, but it's good then. Then there's money coming back into the economy all all the time here as well, and it gets better for employee welfare as well, which uh, can only be a positive. Guy, what's your what's all your take on this? Um, first, I've got a, a couple of takes. I mean, in terms of uh, property industry being kind of being open again, yes, I think it is open. But in terms of overall activity from a an actual kind of transactional perspective, you know, at the moment, my, my experience certainly has been that um, if any of our backers have been interested in bidding in bidding on anything, uh, yeah, be it like an office or industrial or whatever retail parade, it's very much been you know at a discounted bargain basement price that people aren't interested in paying a, a full price at the moment. It seems for not for a development site, but for you know for um, uh, a let asset um, and certainly I think there's a bit of a from a sales perspective we cancelled the sale of a, of a couple of assets that we own to dispose of and I think what people don't want to do is feel that they might have missed out on the returns that they would have got by selling now rather than selling in three months so I think there's going to be a, a, a dark of kind of activity for the next few months and then it'll very suddenly pick up as a few transactions happen and I think confidence from sort of selling selling assets or for people buying them is going to, is going to increase quite quickly. I think it's quite interesting that um, Chris, you're sat in a, in a spaces office because I think one of the big things, certainly we'd heard that um, in terms of flexible workspace, it makes up about three and a half percent of the square footage of office space in, in Birmingham. Birmingham's market is a little bit less um, mature, less populated in terms of having flexible operators in there, even though uh, we work made up such a massive amount. But Everyone seems to be handing their, everyone with a, with a few people who've been working from home realise they can work from home, have handed their one month or their three month notice in, in general. Uh, so I think, I think, I know for a fact that we work in discussion with their, uh, all their landlords and all their leases about reducing their footprint where practical. So I think we're going to see a big, uh, a number of centres closed, I suspect. Yeah, I think you know, looking looking at the WeWork situation, they're probably in a bit more trouble heading yeah, into this. And way more overexposed to Birmingham as well. Yeah, um, and and more recently exposed as well, so they didn't have a chance to build up pre-COVID occupancy levels. Um, yeah. But no, I think yeah, I think you're right. You know, we have seen more terminations in the last three months than we would do in a normal three-month period. I think that will be the same across the sector, across the industry. Um, but a little bit, no, by no means massively, but a little bit of that has been mitigated by some changing demand and some incremental demand from existing clients. So I don't think it'll balance off, but we won't necessarily lose as much as you might think. At least that's the kind of the view I have at the moment. It depends on how long it carries yeah. on for, I guess. <laughs> but also, I think I think we've, we've found yeah. in the few kind of uh, leasing conversations that we've been having, people haven't been wanting to commit to, you know, to, to say five years. Uh, so that, that's obviously a massive opportunity yeah. for anyone saying, oh, actually, well, if we can we can trade from service for six months a year, that, that's perfect, especially in the massive crossroads building, of course. Which is where I'm sat right now, which is which is fairly big. Yeah. Sounds 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 like noted, but I think I recognise the HVAC system from the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've definitely got some interesting times ahead. So Chris Bolland, future of Birmingham, what's positive? What are we learning and what can we get, get out of this? We're obviously uh, you know relatively new to this. We just we just partnered with downtown um, in the last two months and we're a strategic partner. Um, and I said earlier, Birmingham's one of the cities that's that we're targeting for growth. So we, we work nationally and we see uh, trends across the UK. And we, I mean, one thing you, you, you mentioned earlier, which, is, which will be interesting, is how people reevaluate choice making 
and therefore how that prioritizes things in some of the markets we operate in going forward. So what I mean by that is uh, we take residential development. Um, so we're currently developing schemes in Durham, uh, London, uh, the South Coast and Bath, as well as quite a few in Liverpool, um, sort of large scale built to rent developments. And, and, and this is a, as a sort of sector of the, the residential development market that's been maturing over a couple of years. What we're seeing now is a real push towards um, you know, consumer defined um, products. So uh, you know, climate emergency, I think, is going to become a bigger thing. And I think COVID will only accelerate that because people, moments like this in, in history force um, people to reflect. Um, and that then impacts choice. Um, and so we've had years of, of statutory regulation trying to drive forward the change in construction and development to promote more sustainable development. Actually, the thing that's had the biggest impact is people choosing to buy products that are more sustainable than not. And that choice drives um, you know, supply and demand. So uh, the scheme we're looking at in Bath at the minute, um, the developer is... Uh, progressing um, well above and beyond what's needed um, for building regulation approval or, or even planning policy, which goes beyond building regulation uh, limits, to provide something that effectively differentiates their scheme from the marketplace. Uh, and this in turn is being driven um, by their, uh, their, their end investor who will take the asset for the 30-year period, they'll hold it, whatever, and build it as part of their portfolio. Because that end investor realizes that the, that the sort of market of 20-somethings um, or, 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 the, or the people who are, uh, you know, at sixth form now who will go through university and come out and want to rent these properties by the time they're built, this will be hot on their agenda. And so that's a really interesting thing that's, that, that we've seen sort of grow, and I think COVID will accelerate that. Um, the sustainability and climate crisis agenda will, will, will really influence what we're going to do over the, over the years. It'll be interesting to see with projects like the Commonwealth Games, um, which will no doubt really start to champion a response to the climate emergency. How that then starts to change the kind of local feeling for that and, and how it starts to influence what, what, what spin-off development happens around it. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and hopefully, fingers crossed, the Commonwealth will still be going ahead in 2022 and not be overshadowed by the Olympics. Yes. So uh, obviously, we've got to keep praying for that. But I, I want to pick up that because it's really important on that, because I think when you've got your residential housing developments and, and obviously Andy Street's been very big on getting the, the brown sites sort of regenerated and you're lucky you've got a garden you can get out. So during lockdown, it's tough for everybody, but you have got a garden you can get out and you can enjoy the sun. If you're in a small, you know, let's take a, a one-bed apartment in the city centre here in Birmingham, average will be about 420 to 470 square foot. You know, you haven't got a lot of space. Um, and this is where the difference is kicking in. And are we going to see that difference now from developers? And as you say, is it if it's for their end user or because they've seen this and the, the choice is going to be different? You know, I'm a developer and I also have an estate agency. And if I've got the estate agency hat on, when I walk in, I think, oh, God, it would just be nice if this was a bit bigger. You know, and you can actually have a desk in here in the bedroom so you could work from it. You don't just trip yeah. over the wardrobe on a, you know, not in the living room, but also green space within the areas. You know, have, you know, some, you know, if we've got staggered rooftops rather than great big tall skyscrapers, where's the garden space? Um, for, the, for the guys in the, um, the service offices probably won't want me to say this, but are we going to see a difference from developers now where, 
and the planners will want to see workflows kicking in. So if people are in lockdown and this does happen again, which is likely in the next 10 years, that there is actually an area they can work from within the development itself. Uh, and they've got their own little offices and, and that might come into force all of a sudden. So I think we are going to see some uh, interesting changes. On a developer hat on, it's all about you squeeze them in. You know, and it's all about your end return because it depends on who you're acting for. So there is going to be a big difference. But I think if we're looking at the future of Birmingham, I think it's uh, it's very exciting. I think there is going to be some changes uh, from this. And if we had to look at it, what do you think of changes that are needed now, though, that need to come in very quickly rather than, rather than wait three or four years? Let's get them in now and let's get pushing forward to make it a much better place. So who wants to go first? Well, I've got a couple of ideas. Um, I think from a from, from Birmingham City Centre's perspective, I think if we can look to, you know, you know, having cycled in the last couple of weeks, make the city centre more accessible to and safer for people to get into work using different means. <clears throat> so, you know, I know the government have talked a lot in the last week or so about bringing in more cycle routes, and I can see that starting to. <clears throat> potentially shape the way that people will look to commute going forward. You know, there's far more cycle to work schemes and, and things like that. But I would be interested to see any plans that are going through with more green space planning for the city. Because it seems like where everything that's going up, as you said, you know, all, all the developments that I can see and the things that I read in the press and uh, on, on social media are for more skyscrapers, more big space like that, that is very much lent to what's happened in the run up to coronavirus as opposed to how I feel genuinely the world will change beyond it. Okay, perfect. Kathy, what are you, what are you thinking about all this? Oh, the very, very fact that I might have to um, cycle to work horrifies me. Um, I think they should just put more carriages on the trains as a the solution. Um, not everyone lives within a distance where you can walk and cycle. Not everyone has physical attributes that allows that, otherwise you're ignoring large parts of um, you know, the working population. In terms of Birmingham, I think that we've been generally going okay in terms of how it's been launching itself and you know, finally being recognised as a, a proper city. Uh, where development takes place. In terms of the white lines, um, you know, unfortunately there's got to be some uh, clear decisions being made about housing delivery. Um, and a lot of that's going to have to be led by prices, costs, values, and landowners getting a realistic valua valuation of their land, which then informs densities and coverage. Uh, right now, you're not going to get any larger houses on strategic land, in my opinion. Um, you're going to get the houses that are churned out because that's what the land value dictates and what people can afford. Yeah, no, it, it, it's interesting what you said there. And I think it's, you know, if you live in a warmer country, for example, then you probably don't mind the smaller property because you're going to spend most of your life outdoors. Um, but when you're in a country that typically rains most of the year, you know, you do need larger properties to uh, be able to relax, and especially if you've yeah, got but, young families. But then again, James, that hasn't changed overnight. The only issue that's changed is that everyone's inside. The schools are closed. You can't go to the park. So unless the schools are going to cl stay closed forever, unless our parks are going to be closed forever, realistically, I think suddenly imagining that our houses are going to, you know, 
increase in size is unrealistic. I think it's going to be about how we use our space and how we make sure that we can go to work. Um, I don't think working from home and working in, um, you know, as individuals is a good concept. It's not a good concept for my team because it means the junior people within my team will never learn. They won't be given work. They won't learn from people which you do as a team and through knowledge um, in an office. And I think that we'll see that as a, as a real sort of leveling off of junior staff because you won't be able to progress. You won't be able to get in front of a client. You won't be able to go to meetings. Um, you won't be given senior work to do because you won't have that same tutelage that you have in an office environment. Yeah, listen, it's, it's going to be very different. And I think for, for the future of Birmingham, you know, I think the tech scene is going to be huge uh, and, and really to see what comes out of this. And, you know, I know you picked up on the bike. Um, and I think, Chris, you said you're a cyclist. I'm a cyclist myself. Uh, and I think I'm going to come on to transport because I think it is an important one with the latest news that's just been coming out uh, from the local councillors about how we get into Birmingham. But I also do think, look, within the UK, we, we can be relatively lazy as as people where we, we don't do anything until we're forced to do it you know when we're so reliant on the car now as well and i think the difference is if you look at london uh, and if birmingham wants to be recognized as a major player now in the world um, you know we've got the companies coming in the blue chips are starting to arrive they need to get the public infrastructure really changed to allow people to get in no matter what and if that means putting cycle routes down everywhere then people will come because they feel safe um, I don't like cycling down the Hagley Road for example or different areas and playing deaf with all the cars but then you go on the, the cycle routes and you feel good you know straight away and you can take your time and maybe we have to stop rushing and this will be the future of Birmingham that we actually just slow down slightly and we give more so I want to ask you a very controversial question now um, it's in the press the past few days should have estate agents open back up for business yes or no yeah I don't, uh, see, I don't see why not okay. yes I, I'm, I'm quite strong behind this because um <clears throat> you know, I, I'm sure we all have elderly relatives and family members and friends and so on and so forth that we can't see during this period. So, you know, my mum can sell her house and invite as many people into the house as she likes to view it, but she can't engage her family for a, a 15 minute chat. It, it seems to contradict the ruling. So, you know, it, it may be a little controversial to my response, but it's more personally driven than perhaps, you know, from a business standpoint. But if you look at it from that aspect, then how can that make sense? Well, I think um, the government has been clear, hasn't it, in terms of trying to set up the social distancing um, rules. So it's, it's going to be pretty tightly controlled. Interestingly, um, uh, I'm in the process of trying to move house uh, with my other half. So that's been, that's been sort of put on hold. And, and one of the responses um, from our seller was actually she was going to do nothing until until the government sort of said, right, okay, you can now go out and look for, and she's actually looking for a rented property. But I think as long as, I think as long as people are sensible um, and the, agent, the agents generally seem to be gearing up for this in terms of PPE, um, trying to do as much as they can online um, and making it as safe a, a, an environment as, as is possible, then I think, you know, we need, the, the trouble is we need to keep, we need to get the economy moving again we can't just stay in a permanent state of lockdown or semi-lockdown in you know um for any length of 
for any length of time. One, the country can't afford it financially, and I don't think the country can afford it um, from a sort of welfare and um, a well-being um, perspective. So I think you know the, the more we can do to sort of keep things moving, and how you know, and housing is a big part uh, of the economy. So um, I'm all I'm all for it. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because obviously stamp duty accounts for about nine billion pounds to the treasury, so uh, it'll soon start paying some furlough payments. But Matt Hall, what are you thinking? No, I agree. I think it's all about being adaptable in a situation like this. So, my my wife, as an example, she's a property investor. She had a, a property that um, just before lockdown happened, some tenants moved out of one, and she managed to refill it by doing a virtual tour. So. I think, you know, in circumstances like this, you know, surely adhering to social distancing is the right thing to do at all costs, but you can adapt your business to also be visible virtually. I think that also plays into the hands of what's happening right now as well. No, no, that's, that's an interesting point. Chris, Holland? Yeah, no, I to, to, totally agree. Um, and it's sort of, I guess, you know, you think the, the strategy for restricting movement in society has been to prevent overloading of the NHS. It's not been to prevent the spread of the disease because you can't prevent the spread of the disease unless you force everybody to stay in the house and not leave their house at all, um, which is sort of akin to what was done in Italy. So the, 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 the tactic, um, and it's misrepresented, and the agenda for it is misrepresented, but is it is what it is. It's spreading very quickly. The, the, the strategy is to try and limit the damage that spread does. Um, but as, as, a, as, a, as people have said, that's not an indefinite, you, you, cannot, you cannot maintain that, um, that position until a vaccine is available and distributed and proven to be effective over a long period of time, because there won't be anything to pick up by the time that's all done. So we, you know, as Matt says as well, we have to adapt. We have to find a way to move forward. The travel industry found a way to deal with the raised threat after 9-11. And, you know, that changed fundamentally the entire uh, industry. Um, and, and, okay, so that was an event that affected really one sector. And this is affecting all of our businesses and all of our sectors. But, you know, it, it, it is a self-imposed position. We are in an economic uh, uh, sort of event that is caused by the imposition of social restriction for the good of society. Um, so once, once that... There was, there was a feeling that there is control back into, into the situation, which I think we're at now, then it is right that we start to return um, safely as we can under those new circumstances to, to, to get things moving again. Otherwise, there will be long-term damage done that will be worse than the, the original problem. And it's interesting what you're picking up there, Chris, as well, because, you know, it's... It, if you've got, if you're representing developers who are building housing developments, for example, a key part of them is the part X and you need the estate agents open to uh, get around the, the houses to get them valued and get them sold. Otherwise the people aren't going to be buying new houses unless you're first time buyers only. Uh, and that means that the market can come to a bit of a stall as well. So um, interesting guy, any thoughts on this? Uh, I, I almost completely agree with, uh, with Chris, to be honest with you. I, I would actually have, um, and again, I've, possibly a good reason I'm not in government, but I would have opened all the other essential shops as well, maybe not hairdressers and beauticians, but you know, I, I don't see why they, they shouldn't also be open, especially when mm -hmm. non-essential deliveries from Amazon can be open. Um, maybe if they've had a policy of if, if you are following one of the vulnerable groups, you can remain furloughed whilst the business starts. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that would work better, but yeah, I think, I think yeah, firstly that the government has underestimated the extent to which people would uh, 
feel lose confidence and feel afraid of going kind of back out into public, which has now, as we've seen with some of the, uh, or as you might think, um, we've seen with some of the uh, objections to the schools reopening. For example, you know, there, there's a real palpable sense of, uh, of nervousness, I think, about non-essential things reopening generally, which um, is only going to kind of impact the speed at which things get, get moving again. Yeah. But then again, a lot of the schools haven't closed. Yes, so exactly. They never closed. It's only because people kept their children at home that yeah. they've seen. Well, well, most schools were told that they had to stay open for key workers. Yeah. Uh, what, what you find is mo what that ended is between the head teachers of the local areas, they got together to say, look, there's no point in having every school open to have five or six kids in there. And what they would do is use one school as a hub. And then the teachers would uh, obviously then rotate around to help on there, which it's obviously to keep things going. The, the key thing will be for June. And it's interesting why, why I asked this question, because... There's a couple of big brand names out there. I'm not going to mention which names, but if people want to know, just look in the media, you'll find them. And they've refused to open at the moment, um, which is then interesting. Uh, why? Because they've sort of slept walk into this. Um, pretty much everybody in the estate agency world knew that they were going to be one of the first to be allowed to open the doors. Um, but then they haven't opened. And when you're talking about schools, for example, we're also at a time now where parents are going to be having to make that decision on what schools they want their children to go to. So for year six, for example, you're going to be getting into high schools and they're going to want to make sure that they're moving into catchment areas as well. And if you're, if you're stuck with an agent who's not open, in essence, then you're going to be stuck if you, you could be left high and dry effectively. So I think what we are starting to see is the independents in Birmingham are starting to be able to push forward now and really showcase a bit of a difference. And Birmingham's always had that bit of entrepreneurial drive, which would be quite interesting to, uh, to see. Um, just picking up what you said there, Guy, it's interesting about Amazon because I've not heard one complaint yet about Amazon not paying enough tax in the UK in the last eight weeks. So it, no, exactly. everyone, everyone's uh, really, really fortunate for them. So at least they use recyclable. Uh, packaging that's the good thing so uh, on the 14th of may so only a few days ago um there were some big plans released all about the future of uh, birmingham itself uh, very much into uh, the transport hubs um it's something that's got me a little bit because obviously we were all waiting for the clean air zone to come in it got delayed it got delayed again uh, people were rushing out buying electric cars i was one of them um you know to make sure that i wasn't going to get charged every day now i didn't actually need it now for about another year and they've come out with this emergency plan um to keep clean air and everything after we come out of this but are we impressed with it? I don't know if you've seen it. And they're on about using um, parking spaces on the roads and actually just putting barriers outside to make bigger walking areas, uh, a little bit more outdoor space. Um, cycle routes, they're sort of talking about it again to say we want to get more people cycling, but there's no real big plans. There's no real deciders of what's going to happen. Um, most of the ones that have been talked about have been getting talked about for years. And I'm worried read on this that it's a bit of a marketing ploy uh, from the council to look good and say look we're going to do this but are we are we acting quick enough should this be an emergency or should somebody higher up be saying you know what this is a great opportunity now to change the city center especially and the suburban areas that are just just as important to link into the center and actually rather than making this an emergency plan let's actually grab our balls and uh, make it better and, and let's let's start showing Birmingham can lead this way forward I know Andy Street's been talking about Birmingham's going to be trying electric scooters and be one of the trial pads for the UK but you can't use them anywhere so what's what's the point of being the uh, the trial so uh, what are your thoughts on this Chris Kay 
Oh, I thought you came to me first. Um, <clears throat> well, I said it already. Chris Bolland, but he was drinking at the time. there. Yeah, I, I think I've probably made my thoughts quite clear already. I think if we're going to lead the way and we're going to drive some public sentiment behind the plan, now's the time to do it. And, you know, if we could get on the back of the return to work, the, the sentiment that seems to be out there looking at speaking to people from social media, listening to people talking in the news, there is a great sentiment to change how we live our lives and to change how we, 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 we view getting to work, how we view working, how we view socialising, how we view interacting. And by having a really in-depth, detailed plan as to how to, ev how to evolve the connections around the city, how to evolve how people can get around the city and how people can live and breathe and work around and in and, in and around the city, anything that's how can I put this but any anything that's not really well thought through at this point in time and and you know you've already mentioned perhaps rehashing some old plans I think we we need to have something that's that's leading the way that other cities can use as a benchmark for and we've got you know probably the best opportunity that we've ever had with all of the change that's going on in Birmingham right now to make a change for the future that other cities can look at as a blueprint to deliver the perfect or ideal city centre environment for people who use it. Absolutely. So you're saying that it shouldn't be an emergency one, it should be more permanent. And yeah. rather than putting just, you know, little barriers up, actually extend the pavements, you know, or get the cycle lanes down and start spending the money where it should be spent. Interesting. Matt? Well, yeah, I think it's it, happening in the city centre though. If you think about the proposals from Cornwall Road and the other major works that are sort of like in the pipeline, it takes a long time to reroute roads and get people's approval and tie in with um, pedestrian routes especially. So I don't think the city centre is necessarily behind. I mean, Birmingham's really lucky that it is really walkable. You don't need cycles and scooters to get around. You can just walk um, to Brindley Place. You can just walk from Snow Hill to Broad Street. It's not that far. Whereas London, Liverpool, Manchester, some of the distances are much much longer um, so I think Birmingham's you know it's got that benefit um, I, I think the city council's attempts to I don't know, do social distancing make footpaths wider that's an emergency aspect that they're, they're doing um, I don't know since I started my company I've got the train into Birmingham every day for work and the only thing that's prevented that is a change in the rail company and reduced carriages. So Birmingham's already got a very, very sustainable system of public transport, which they're improving through um, the, the tram and more bus routes and such. Um, I'm not quite sure how minimising roads and alienating cars completely will benefit every person. I don't think it'll benefit everybody, but it's an interesting one of how city centres do have to change, and this is where the future uh, could be. And I think if we're going to be the hub of trialling, you know, you know, even though I'm a cyclist myself, let's let me be honest, I don't want to put lycra on every day to to cut, you know, to cycle up to the office. Quite happy to jump on an electric bike though in my suit, and that's straightforward. So maybe then 
uh, we have to learn. Israel, Tel Aviv is a great place to see this. You know, yes, different climate, but if anyone's not been, everyone's on scooters and electric bikes over there and they get around for work everywhere, which I think is the difference. Um, I mean, the key thing for me just for Birmingham and obviously being in the property here, it's so important. I think we have two bike lanes that took years in place. They only got put in place after a tragic accident that pushed it through. Um, and I think we do need to push it forward now more and more to get people out one thing this has done is got people out the houses you know so we were a nation that you are locked in your house as soon as you get home you're in tv's on sit down have your tea have a chat go to bed where now everyone's getting out and about and uh, i think that's really important it's been great to see families you know going down on their bikes and the feeling safe and we're gonna see more of it matt what's your take uh, on how we could uh, the transport could be good or bad or what you like on Oh, I've lived in the Middle East for the last four years, so I only got back to uh, the Midlands last year. Um, and I, I saw a massive transformation over the last 12 months, to be honest. I think it's been incredible how Birmingham has developed in the four years that I was away. I would just like to see better connectivity between regions, communities, people. You know, certainly how they interact better across the city would be something that I would, I would be looking at. And I think in the interim period, one of the biggest factors that we, we, we need to look at is just safety for me, is, is how people are getting around and that safety element, because I think more so than ever, people want to feel comfortable um, walking around, cycling around, whatever mode of transport you're going to be on. I think that's a really important factor for the, for the future of Birmingham. And they could lead the way with it. You know, we've seen all the press about what's happening in London right now with transport across, uh, across London. Uh, we don't want to go down that route for sure. No, absolutely. And I think, I think you've just hit a key point there. We always hear it's always London first, uh, pretty much. Uh, why doesn't uh, Birmingham take the headlines and uh, really just grab it and go for it and uh, make a big change? Clive, what are you thinking? I think, I think what concerns me is the connectivity. And I think um, for the mood music has been, you know, car, car equals bad um, up, and, up until sort of two, three months ago. Now we're being told, don't get on public transport, jump in your car. Um, and the social, so there needs to be a proper joined up um, uh, view in terms of well, what is safe, what is, what, is what is recognized as being sort of usable. And I think just penalizing the car use for the sake of it is, is not the way to go. Um, to talk about, oh, we're gonna have um, you know, the clean, the cl I agree with clean air. I think the I think the city council um, is just been um, is sort of pandering to the mood music at the moment, and I think what they need is a is a proper realistic um, uh, solution. If you think about the numbers of people who come into Birmingham each day, it is you know we need we need a joined up model. We need a good public transport system. I'm a regular train user. It's been awful, absolutely awful. Um, that needs so I'm you know I'm pleased that Andy Street has been on at the train companies to try and make that work. But if we're in a if we're in a sort of post-coronavirus world, um, are are we going to have where getting people to wear masks on public transport? If that's the new normal, I'm happy to do that. It doesn't it doesn't actually bother me getting on a train. It wouldn't it wouldn't stop me getting on a train tomorrow. But what would stop me getting on a train tomorrow is is the thought that actually with the numbers i might not be it might take me three hours to actually get on a train to get home that's not yeah. that's not a solution um so i can see part I, there'll, there'll be partial answers to all of this part of it part of which will be yeah we'll, we'll probably be working from home one two days a week maybe for the foreseeable future and i think it's 
it's things like connectivity in terms of um, Zoom and everything else that will make a difference. So we probably we will probably see a reduction, I think, in in travel per se. You know, the big the big sort of meetings here, there, and everywhere will be people will be thinking, do I really need that meeting? Yes, there will be times when you need that meeting, but probably as we've seen with the technology here, you can do a lot of things online. So it's interesting you say that, Clive, because then effectively what we're saying is then the car will not be need to be used that much then if we're working from home. I don't think it will be needed as much, but to demonise it and just say you've got to use public transport and then stop, then tell you in the next breath you can't get on public transport because of social distancing, that's not, that's not realistic. No, it's very true. And it doesn't matter if you're yellow, red or blue on your political thoughts. It was the same with diesel cars. Everyone was told to buy diesel and now everyone's told to go and buy electric. So it's changed. Guy, you were nodding, nodding your head through that. So what are your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree that I think the... Um, uh, the sort of vilification of, of car users has very much been pandering to the, the movies. And I think, um, as I'm sure, uh, I think I've read a few studies found that as soon as you put in a, a clean air zone, so diesel cars, all that does is not really affect but mildly inconvenience, effectively, you know, reasonably middle and high earners, middle class people. And what it does is actually really puts a strain on people who can't afford to just go and get a new electric car or people who have to drive in because maybe they've got kids or whatever. And, you know, I think also the bus system really needs examining. I mean, I guess it's 2.1 on the, the buses and trains. You know, you can't tell people, especially more professionals, I would say, to, you know, you should be commuting using these services when actually the use of them is is poor, if not actively unpleasant. You know, my um, my boss uh, lives in Harbour, which probably says um, exactly as you'd expect. Um, and he actually gets the bus and a lot of his mates take the piss out of him. But um that actually I, I used to get the bus in from Mosley and that was just a, a terrible experience throughout. You know, it was often often always cramped. Uh, the, the, the rest of people on there often, yeah, there'd be a very small number of people making the journey pretty much hell for everyone. So I think they need to actually find a, a way of, you know, investing in whether that's with more personnel on the buses or whatever, of improving that experience so people are encouraged to use it because it is a viable alternative. Uh, and the other thing I think is just they need to, really focus on infrastructure and I, I, I know that um, in our country it seems that delivery of even local infrastructure projects does take an enormous amount of time I know an endless list of reasons but, but we do seem to be quite pretty shit at it to be honest with you excuse the, the, the language but um, yeah we just seem to be terrible at it so I think that the, the metro plans need to go much further and that just unlocks mm. so much investment you know on the the Hagley Road, for example, Seven Capital just um, spent quite a few million uh, updating one of the office buildings that's directly outside of the stop. That whole area, the um, uh, New Garden Square that Calthorpe Estates are putting in there, which is five large office buildings, uh, two or three hundred flats and a hotel building that's opposite that. That wouldn't really be happening without that, I wouldn't have thought, or not to that scale. So infrastructure unlocks investment from other parts of the country and money from other parts of the country into Birmingham. So... It just needs to be sort of accelerated as much as possible. Yeah, Guy, listen, I, I can only echo your thoughts there. It's one thing, you know, with developing in a different city and then uh, operating a business here is I do see the difference in speed on the way some cities uh, really want to accelerate and, and get things done. And we do seem to be a little bit slow here, but hopefully this will start to change. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts then, Chris? Uh, yeah, no, sort of gen general agreement, uh, uh, especially with, with Guy's point about in, um, timing on infrastructure projects. Oh, it's, just, it's just crazy. Um, Birmingham has a real opportunity, doesn't it? Um, because it, it is going to become uh, a hub for the country. 
um, and, and you know, uh, notwithstanding the reporting in the last couple of days on the quality of management, but HS2 is going to have a big impact. And, and that presents a, a really exciting opportunity um, to really revisit the whole transport agenda. Um, and it needs to be strategic. Uh, you know, the, 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 the issues are complex and interwoven with the fabric of cities and, uh, and, and the, the nature of society. You know, we, we aren't all going to just suddenly abandon our cars and jump onto bikes. We aren't all going to uh, be able to just go out and buy electric cars. Um, but the certainty in all of this is that we're going to run out of oil uh, in the future. And that, 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 that's it. You know, it will get to the point where we can no longer fuel vehicles with that means. So we need to put measures in place now to change that. And, you know, I think uh, generationally, there's a big shift away from dependency on cars. Um, less so perhaps outside of urban centres, um, but certainly in urban centres, younger generations are just not interested in car ownership or don't see it as a barrier. Uh, you know, my, my own uh, younger brother, who's 20 years younger than me, uh, is, is, is a case in point. And, and his whole cohort, friends, colleagues, people who works, people who live there, just none of them own cars. None of them see it as a barrier to their lifestyle. If they need to get somewhere, they rent a car, they use car share schemes. It's just a massive shift in attitude away from you know, my, my generation, uh, which is that if I don't have my car, I feel like I'm, you know, I feel like I've had my left leg chopped off, like I, you know, completely lacking independence and all the rest of it. It's just a completely different mindset. And I, and I think we're going to see, like I said earlier, uh, how, the, how the change in, in what people want to make choices will dictate what, what supply provides. So that shift in attitude will change how we depend on vehicles and city centres, how developments that come forward will not be car focused in the way that they have been in the past or they are now. So, um, but you know, the things like the HS2 project provide a springboard to start to, to, to raise a debate around the future of city like Birmingham about how it embraces, um, what, what, a, uh, uh, you know, a transport agenda could look like that isn't dependent on fossil fuel based transport systems. Interesting comments, Chris. I've just had a message to say it's only on till three. But yeah, I've got to go. Since you've mentioned HS2, I'll just leave you this little thought then, because I, I never like people to agree on these, my calls. So why don't we just scrap HS2 and use that money to go into the local metro system and then get everyone connected together? Yes or no? No. Interesting. Right. Doing both. Perhaps you need to, um, the other thing, though, the argument few people make about HS2 is the fact that you need to, we need to keep that sort of um, institutional knowledge as a country of highly technical rail work for, for future projects so we're not reliant on other countries to bring uh, that expertise in. Mm. You, you mentioned the uh, connectivity straight away. What are your thoughts? Connect, connect to London or get the West Midlands connected? 100%. I, I'm all for connecting to London as well. I think that's it. I think that's HS2 for me. Okay, Kathy. I didn't really hear the question, but I think HS2 is going to happen to Birmingham. Whether it happens any further, I don't know. Clive. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it brings opportunities um, uh, both both sort of heading towards London and also potentially going north. It's got to be a good thing. Chris uh, the, the, man the management's a nightmare, but yeah, the concept is good. 
Chris we, all probably, we, we all probably have some link or relationship with something to do with HS2 right now. I know to, to your point, 100% the management can be difficult. Um, I think it's critical to the region. I think um, it'll help us retain the best people. Um, and that's really important, you know, retaining the best mind, best and brightest of Birmingham's minds because they can connect to London quickly, keep those people in the city. It's, it's hugely important for the future. Perfect. Chris Bollum, you're obviously pro HS2. Um, my thoughts are very much a scrap it, get it connected the, the metro into Birmingham. Um, do Zoom meetings if you've got to do a meeting in London now. We've just shown the new way on here. So it's very different. So, guys, many thanks. I'm still going to be going to London. <laughs> Uh, many so, thanks for joining us. Not, not, I don't like Zoom that much. <laughs> no problem. It's, uh, thanks very much for joining us. Another edition of the Birmingham Property Club in association with the Downtown Den. Been great having you all, and I'm sure I'll see you very soon on another edition. Thank you, guys.